Hello and welcome to Crucial Conversations. I'm your girl, Naya. Hey, I'm Dion. Hey, I'm Kay. Hey, I'm Joy. And today we're going to culture appropriation, misappropriation, culture vulturing, whatever you want to call it, that is going to be our topic today. Do you see it as just another form of colonialism or a way of just showing admiration for minority talent, lingo, fashion, and please let's not forget our big butt and smile. So ladies, let's get into it. <laughs> so what do you guys think? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I think that it's complex. I think that it depends on who's doing it. I think it depends on what they're doing and how they do it. So um, in some culture appropriation, I think that when it comes to African-Americans and white Americans, it takes on a more complex, um, I would say, uh, it's just more complex because Maybe. of the history. Right, because when I look at um, our history. So, you know, African-Americans, we were robbed of our heritage, our names, our religion and our dignity. <laughs> and then we, you know, we have this culture built out of that oppression and that struggle. And so, um, when I look at white Americans trying to take our culture, you know, after they criticize us for our culture, then I feel like, okay, you're just stealing something again. You know, like we can't have anything to ourselves, and it's just another representation of this privileged mindset is like, oh, I like that. I want to have it. Let me go get it. And so I, I uh, take a little issue with that. Now, I don't have the same feeling when it's more of appreciation when, you know, one culture, like, oh, I like, you know, this Indian culture, I like, the, you know, this, um, you know, Chinese culture, and they take aspects and then give it, give that culture credit to it, or give that culture credit, then I look at it a little differently. But um, overall, I think when it comes to African American culture, we've been robbed of so much, and that it's like, let us have something, admire it from afar, appreciate it from afar, but let us have it. So, so, you touched on something really interesting about white Americans dealing black culture. Um, but when, I guess when, you know, black people um, borrow other cultures and it's more of an appreciation when they give credit to it. So what, in your opinion, would be the proper way for white Americans to borrow and appreciate black culture and give us credit? Like what, what is what are those guidelines would you say that would make it more acceptable and more appreciation versus appropriation? Yeah, um, I think that one is giving credit. Um, for example, when Kim Kardashian did the braids, she called them Bo Derek braids. Like no, well, but when Bo Derek had those braids, Bo Derek gave credit to where they actually came from. And so instead of Kim Kardashian talk about these braids were from, you know, like an African culture, she tr attributed it to another white woman. Um, and then there, in, in 
you know, as long as credit um, is given to the actual culture and that it's not taken, you're not renaming it, and you don't criticize others for doing it. Yeah. And and a lot of times, honestly, a lot of times it's not the person doing it as much as it the people reacting to it or praising it. So it's usually the people surrounding it where, let's say, I can go twerk in the street and I'm a hood rat and like oh that's ghetto and then like a white girl can go twerk in the street and it's like oh you go girl and so it's not even that girl's fault it's everybody else around it's fault and so that's why i think it's just a lot more complex than just like oh this appropriation is bad and this is good i think that it's just very complex and we need to look at all the complexities before we pass judgment on it I, I agree. I do think that I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dia. I was just going to say really quick that reminds me of the white boy who I think he went to an HBCU, but he was like the he was like call it the grand. Go ahead, yeah. and he was getting it, and I was like, no, he's actually he, he's to bringing stop. it. He's funky. <laughs> And it was exactly what Kay said. Like, he wasn't necessarily presenting himself as, you know, having started it or, you know, not giving credit, but it was all of the commentary. It was basically the Black community getting upset because of all of the shine that he was getting. All of the national media outlets picked it up and, you know, weren't paying homage to where it actually came from or where it actually originated. So that made me think of that. But go ahead, Naya. I agree with you, Kay. I think that it is very complex. And I think that there's a difference from learning and appreciating um, or appreciating the greatness of the minority culture. And it's complete exploitation when you're monopolizing from, you know, that culture. And so that is the difference for me. Um, If you are just admiring and just fascinated with all these different um, things that make up make us who we are, but then you take it and you profit from it, that's that's the part that's appropriation for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Do you feel that way about hip hop? That it's been appropriated? Even though there's black artists still doing hip hop, but then you look at who are the executives, who are the 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 oh um, I, I definitely the power behind it. I do. And I think that there's so many levels when it comes to hip hop, because I do think that there's um, cultural appropriation. I do think and I also think that um, we're kind of fed this narrative to rap about um, to kind of demean ourselves and our culture, in a sense, Um, so that hip hop is a whole different topic. Yes. I yeah. Definitely. We can actually have a whole episode. Yeah. You can have a whole episode <laughs> over the entertainment, um, culture in general yeah. and how it likes to create this narrative of who we are and who, um, they would like the world to portray us to be, but that's another topic. So mm-hmm. I'll digress. Right. I will digress. But even if we look at, do you guys remember, what's that lady's name? Um, I just remember she was a president of one of the NAACP chapters. I want to say it was like in Washington. Um, and she was a white woman and she portrayed herself Rachel as a black. Dolajal? Yes. Like yeah. even that, like th- there's levels to it. And I think that's a little bit above and beyond just. That's boring. That's pre- like theft. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's like, insanity. Like, like yeah. you walk, yeah. you walk like around in blackface 
for years and That's you hard. yeah yeah that that was that was a little bit much for that me, was just it. misrepresentation period like she yeah. misrepresented her i mean like that was a completely different you let uh, her tell her she, she represented herself she more, correct <laughs> she was more interesting as a light-skinned light-eyed woman of color than just being a regular white white woman and and so that's what she adopted to you know give herself more value and that speaks to the colorism and everything else that we talked about on a previous episode but yeah that was that was an egregious (laughs) (laughs) to joy's point it was a, a misrepresentation because it wasn't that oh i'm adopting this culture i'm you know, uh, I love this culture. I'm, you know, ingrained in this culture. It's more of like, no, I'm supposed to be here because I'm black. Like that's totally different mm-hmm. and really appropriate. Yeah. But that makes me think of, so, and I'm sure we all know like that, you know, one non-black person in the hood that had, that grew up around black people was in, you know, went to school with black people. And so they grew up in black culture. Mm -hmm. And now people like that are saying, oh, you're appropriating black culture. And so with that, I kind of look at it. It's like, no, you grew up in black culture. This is your environment. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't. Yeah. And like we said, levels to it. Go ahead, Jay. So where does the line, where is the line? Because for someone that is not black and someone that isn't white or someone that is, you know, well, black and white, like, and you're um, kind of uh, leaning into one, the opposite culture, when, how do you, um, how do you know when you're coming across as, as you you're leaning into it more out of admiration and you you know kind of more relating to it than you uh, imitating the culture. How would one know? Uh, so, to Kay's example, right? I think that if this is your environment, um, it's what you grew up around and what you've been accustomed to all your life. I don't think that you can really help that. It's no different than. Um, Hell, like if if you if you grew up in a Spanish home, nine times out of ten, you're probably going to learn how to speak Spanish, right? Regardless of your nationality, if you were adopted, then that's probably something that's going to be um, taught to you. And it's the same thing. I think that if you're if there's a white person that's that grows up around black people, more than likely they're going to adopt that culture, and vice versa for black people that are brought up in all white neighborhoods they are probably going to adopt some of their culture too. Um, I think for for Black people, it's a little bit different because usually when Black people move into um, a white neighborhood, your parents didn't grow up in that white neighborhood. So you're still going to have um, Black values and traditions that are going to be fed to you. But then because of the school environment and everything, you, there are going to be some of their culture that you're going to adopt. So... Um, so for me, I think that that, I, I, I don't know. I think that if you try to take that away from them, it becomes a little bit divisive because that's what they know. That's what they grew up to just know. It's become their culture. It's become Mm -hmm. their culture, even though they're not bound to this culture by race, they're bound to it by environment. Like that's Mm -hmm. the environment they grew up in. 
Um, something that you mentioned triggered a thought where you're talking about like a black person growing up in a, like a white neighborhood and adopting some white cultures. Is it appropriate? Because I hear it all the time, like, well, black people appropriate white culture. It's like assimilation. But, Wait, but, nobody, does that count? but even that, I don't think that That's I don't think that black people are able. I don't think black people are able to culture appropriate because I think even the term came from you taken away from minority um, minority culture. But I do think when it comes to um, I know for black people, we went through this phase where we were very into the whole Asian culture. We wore the kimonos, we wore the chopsticks in our hair. There are women still to this day that have tattoos on their body and they have not a damn clue what it reads. But How um, appropriation. How is that not appropriation? Just because it we're black? Is. To me, no, it is. To me, that is. It can it can be a form, but I think that there has to be another. There has to be another term used to describe it. Why? I don't think it. <laughs> I don't know. And you know what? I'm going to think of the term to call it, but I don't mm. think that it can be called culture appropriation because I don't think these people are. So, again, my definition of culture appropriation is when you're profiting from it, like you're getting something from it. There, these women are not getting anything from that. This is appreciation of this culture. They just love the, the fashion at that time of, you know, the, the Asian community. They like the chopsticks. They they like this long, straight bone hair, whatever the case may be. They like the way that the letters most look. Most people, people that get dressed drag, drag, drug, just work with me. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, that receive all of this backlash is because, um, but most of the people that are receiving all of this backlash, it's not because they're profiting off of it. It's just because they, so we posted on our Instagram, you know, earlier this week, um, Adele, she was, uh, she posted an appreciation of, I think it was Caribbean Jamaica. day or something, mm -hmm. Jamaican mm -hmm. day. And, she had Bantu knots. And to me, that was her just appreciating the culture. I'm like, yo, this is really fly. Yeah. And so I think in most cases, my opinion, that's what it is. But then there's just this uproar, like, oh my goodness, you all are mm -hmm. borrowing and stealing from our culture. So I think in most cases, they're not profiting from yeah. it. They're doing the exact no, same thing that, I agree. that Black people are doing and showing appreciation for Asian culture. But it's very, very taboo. And they You're, I, I agree. And even when you think about Kim Kardashian, her box braids, boxer braids, she wasn't profiting from it. I mean, but it was still appropriation. One, she renamed it, <laughs> you know, so she kind of, and so it wasn't like she was profiting. But I think that, um, I don't know, sometimes I think that Black people, we feel like we have a certain privilege that we can do because we're, you know, the oppressed and we're usually at the bottom of the totem pole where it's like mm -hmm. oh we can do whatever we want because we're black yeah. and well, let the record uh, reflect i do agree with both of you i do uh, think that it's culture appropriation <laughs> but i was gonna drive <laughs> that <laughs> sucker <laughs> Let me, let me take my, but you're right. You're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the points I was trying to make earlier is that um, can we, uh, when can white, can black people appropriate white culture, or is it assimilation? Yeah, I think there has to be a different term. I mean, I think it's a form of appropriation. I just want to find a different term than culture appropriation when it's done from minorities. That's it. Why? What different? That's because it? that is my one, and that's it. And, I, and I'm gonna <laughs> come up with be what? what would be the better term, Naya? I don't know. Culture borrowing. <laughs> so we getting it back. <laughs> We do give it back. Think about down appropriation. Well, they give it back. So look at uh, Miley Cyrus. She gave black culture right on back. Oh my gosh, she did. She threw us to the wolves. She was like, "I'm gonna make this one rap album, and then I'm gonna go ahead and leave y'all where y'all be." That's true. She sure did. I mean, we do. Go ahead. And we look at it as we're just so fly, so dope, and that everyone wants to take pieces of our culture and, you know, just lift it up and elevate it. And why, why is that a bad thing? I mean, and, and honestly, like you provided an answer to that earlier, Shania. You said when, <laughs> when Duke, Duke credit Be nice to me. <laughs> well, no, you, you address it. When due credit isn't given or they're profiting off of it, um, but aside from that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that's not where most of the backlash comes. So I often look at it as like, we just fly out here. We're setting trends and we're setting the wave. And I don't know. I don't always get the uproar. But you know what's so funny about what you said? So we can look and say, you know, we're fly and, you know, we're, we're just these great beings. But when we appropriate we're trying to be the total opposite of our dopeness that is naturally in us. So like you said, we, I mean, even look at little Kim, I know we had talked about this a previous episode and I love little Kim. So nobody please think that I'm trying to bash her, but to tread know, lightly, tread lightly. I know, right. But <laughs> to know that this beautiful woman tried to look like Pamela what, what was her name? Anderson. Pamela Anderson. You know, out of all people, I'm like, oh my God. So I think that we try to go the complete opposite. And um, as far as white culture, they're, tr- they're trying to be like us and we're trying to be like them, basically. It's like we're, we're swapping. Well, again, to my point, when like little Kim is more assimilation, like growing up in America as a black woman in America, all the images of beauty are women who don't look like me. They're white, they're blonde, they have blue eyes. And so in order for her to feel beautiful, I guess, in her mind is to look like this woman. And so is that assimilation or is that, I feel like it's more assimilation than it is appropriation. Lil' Kim didn't change, like, the way she talked. She didn't change. She just cha- tried to change. She did change the, the way, way she, she talks. She did. She started to talking like a Barbie. Yeah, remember little Kim before she had, you know, she was rough around the edges. Yo, yo. And then she started talking like this, and then she all of a sudden got a list but out of nowhere. Like, most Black people have like Kanye. work voice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, but I'm, does that too. But like, I'm saying she, sorry. <laughs> yeah, like, like the fuck. But yeah, I think most black people, again, that's assimilation. 
to be accepted in a certain world. She's rich at this point. And to be to talk to executives and to talk to all these rich people, she feels like she needs to change the way she talks and change the way she looks. Is that appropriation? So from someone that lived outside of the United States and was able to see it from a, I guess, a, a neutral standpoint, I guess, if you could call it that. Now, what I find interesting is that I do agree that in the African-American community that um, imitating or appropriating or whatever the term is we're talking about, it doesn't really, like for instance, when I see, when I first started at some point when I was younger wearing certain traditional clothing, um, it was a big deal. And that's because I don't feel like the fashion industry or the music industry or whatever, like bridge that connection um, at some point or at that point where I was um, doing it, there wasn't like really a big, um, there wasn't any awareness around it. And then all of a sudden, like it, it, at that point when I was doing it, it was to be made fun of. And then um, at some point when somehow it became fashionable to wear certain, you know, African prints or certain, you know, listen to certain music outside of rap or pop or whatever, then it became, then it became okay. It's like somebody else had to sign off on it before you can do it and it be accepted. So I think sometimes people do it because it's trendy. So mm -hmm. I don't think it's necessarily like something behind it. I think that people do it for different reasons. So most times I believe that it comes from a, like, like a place of admiration. Like when I used to see it, even though if someone made fun of my African print or whatever I was wearing that represented, you know, one of my roots, it was, um, I, you know, I just looked at it and then I turned around and saw them wear it years later. I just looked at, okay, you found the appreciation for it later. I found, I looked at it as if now you have an opportunity to dig a little deeper and find out more about it, like whatever it took to be on your radar. And if you despise it so much, you don't like it. Like, what can you do? How can you steal it from me when you're, when it is me? Like what you're wearing is me, what you're representing is me. No one can forget that. Um, so it, it's identifiable. Like when, when a white person is wearing African print or wearing braids, nobody looks at them like they originated it. Like nobody that mm -hmm. has any sense. So do you think why that the reason it, I don't look at it, I don't look at it as theft. I just look at it as you admire me so much. You take it. Mm -hmm. I don't care what, what I, what That's I what personally, I earlier, yeah. yeah. What I personally look at, um, you know, as a culture, what a culture vulture is in my opinion is someone that takes uh, some a, a particular culture and tries to exploit it. So I don't know if that's another topic, but say for example, I don't know if you've all heard of like Vlad TV, um, who, who happens to be like, to me that's culture vulture and also with all the bad intentions, my opinion. Um, someone can argue, well, he's giving them a platform and he's giving you know people a voice and he's giving he's allowing them to read, but the way that you do it and what your intentions are behind it to me the way that he interviews them that to yeah. me it's a one may argue because it's not um overt or it's not in your face someone might argue well wh where's the where's the appropriate where's the um vulture there but someone's using a particular culture to exploit them for negative reasons that to me is exploitation but 
someone dressing or imitating me, whether they say uh, the best term I can think of is imitation is the best form of flattery. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, and I don't know. I just feel like um, most people have the same view. Most people around the world, like you hear Africans, you hear the Asian cultures, they're fine with people dressing in their garb, all that. Like I get it on a intellectual level. But I think when it comes, I think African-American culture is different only because we've been robbed of so much. And so to be robbed of the one thing that that um, like we created on it. Yeah, you. I think it hits differently. And I don't think that most people around the world can really understand um, what that means. But to Africans take, have been robbed. Africans well, are Africans, Africans in Africa, that were African Americans. So Africans have not been in robbed. the same way. Not in the same way. Af Africans have their name. They know. They know where their heritage is from. They know. You know. They know their history. You know. They weren't robbed of their whole entire heritage. Like African Americans, we don't even know what country no. our people are from. We don't know what our. We have last names from Europe. You know, mm -hmm. and so. Africans that are in Africa don't, yes, they're robbed of their resources. They're robbed of all those things. So I'm not taking away from that, but it's still different than a culture where you're robbed yeah. of everything, even your dignity. Like mm -hmm. we're, Jim Crow wasn't even that long ago. We're still being robbed of our dignity. And the only thing, and we have a, uh, even though it's changing, <laughs> we had a beautiful culture and that culture was derived out of our oppression, out of slavery, out of everything mm -hmm. that we've been through. Our music and everything. Exactly. Yeah. Like everything was derived from that. And so that's in many cases, like all we had. And then here's the one thing that we had that we created on our own. And then that's being robbed without being appreciated. And so that's, I, I don't know, it just hits differently when it comes to our culture. And I, I get it on an intellectual level, why other cultures are okay. Like, oh yeah, yeah, you you like what we do. You're imitating is flattering. Like I get it, I get it. But I think it just hits differently when it comes to us. And, and kind of my views on the N-word where, yeah, I get context matters and intent, but sometimes it's just good to see you just accept that this is one thing you can't have. Like, this is one thing you can't say. Like, you've been privileged and you feel like you can have access to everything that you like. And, like, it's good to sometimes see that, you know, th there's limitations. No, you can't have it. Just you can't have it. Like, learn to. There are things that we haven't been able to have. Know how that feels for once. And so, I mean, maybe it's a petty way of looking at it. But I just look at it as a, just another form of privilege that, you think that you can just take whatever you want. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, as we said earlier, I think the the parts to look back on is the context. Um, like you said, if it's exploitation, um, you know, profiting from it, whatever. Um, even when I look at, I don't know if you guys remember on social media, there were um, when the BLM, Black Lives Matter movement um, started progressing after the George Floyd um, killing, murder. 
And there were these models or influencers on social media and they were wearing blackface and they had like, you know, all of this um, Arctic photography that was displayed on Instagram. And so they actually received a lot of backlash for it. And so for that, I think that in their minds at that moment, they probably looked at it like, well, I'm just showing my appreciation and my support for Black people. From my end, I look at it like, okay, well, now you're profiting from this tanned skin, but then you're also taking opportunities away from girls who naturally have that skin because there were people that were hiring these tanned um, white women. They were hiring them instead of when they could have just hired a black woman who naturally looks like this. So I have that when because of your appropriation and you're taking opportunities away from people who naturally have this in them and naturally look this way, then I see it as an issue. I'm really split down the middle because I do, I, it's like on one side, I have an issue with it. And then on the other side, I can see where it can kind of become a little bit divisive and limit people's just selectively um choosing their identity you know if that's what if that's how they would like to identify themselves as then so be it you know do you but it's that it's the profiting part and i think that Kay brought up really good points it's just as far as we've been robbed for for so much and even music when you say that um, the white culture, they have their own music. Even their music derives from our music. Even country music. I think that there's a, there's a line, a thin line to where I, I can kind of accept it as appreciation. And then on the other side, I'm like, okay, now you're going too damn far. Yeah. I like to look at on an individual basis. Like, I do think that Sometimes you go too far, like, oh, come on. Like, uh, honestly, Adele's picture didn't, d that didn't bother It didn't bother, yeah. At all, because she's, you know, in Jamaica. She's showing, you know, Jamaican appreciation. She's doing some Bantu knots. I was fine with that because she didn't try to pass it off as I'm doing something new and fresh and I'm trying mm -hmm. to make it cool. Or, exactly. Uh, you know, it was just, it was a true depiction of her appreciating another culture. And so I was okay with that. And I just don't like when people just have like this blanket um, thing, you know, where if you do anything that represents black culture, then um, you're appropriating. I don't agree mm -hmm. with that because again, that doesn't include the people that grew up They Like I know white people who grew up around black people. They're mm -hmm. not even just white people, just people of all cultures that grew mm -hmm. up around black people. And I'm like, that's your culture. Mm -hmm. in, in many ways because of your environment. And so I do it's like to look at it on an individual case-by-case -case basis. But I think in when I look at a higher level, you know, as a broader level, I do think that um, I, I do have an issue with, you know, people appropriating Black culture because it's like, damn, can't we can we have anything? Like, can we have anything? Yeah. 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 Do you have an issue with um, black appropriators? Uh, it annoys me sometimes. It depends on how it's done. Um, yeah. Again, again, same way, case by case basis. Um, if you're showing appreciation to another culture, mm -hmm. I'm okay with it. If they're okay with it, then why would I be mad? 
Um, so yeah, if the other culture is okay with it, I'm not gonna be mad. Um, but if it's done just passed off as this is this new thing I'm doing, then you know, yeah. And like Native Americans, I think I find it interesting. Like when you Native American, I think Native Americans should feel the same way about mm-hmm. as African Americans when it comes yeah. to appropriate culture. Because like we stole, yeah. like not we, they stole like your whole land, mm-hmm. <laughs> like your whole Literally. land was stolen. Yeah. yeah. And um, but then it was such a divide when it came to the team names like the Washington Redskins. Yeah, I was gonna say just like they didn't care, and some were like, yeah. "Oh no, like this is a bad yeah. thing." And so, um, but I look at it is that it should be up to the culture to decide. I had a friend ask me once. Um, I have a gay friend, and who's white, and he asked me if he feels like gay culture appropriates black culture gay men black women yeah yeah and i thought it was a really good question great um, question that i i said yes <laughs> because but i felt i wasn't offended because they always pay homage Beyonce, yeah. Donna Summer, like they always pay homage yeah. to who their inspirations were her, and so yeah. that's why it's not offensive to me and um, but I, I thought it was interesting that one he even recognized, recognized it, it and yeah. made that connection. And two, yeah. I wonder yeah. why. Have you ever asked like why they gravitate more towards? Um, uh, I think it was a struggle. Yeah, like you know they like fabulousness, and I think too, um, a lot of it is derived from the struggle. And they have their own struggle. I mean, it's different, but they have their own struggles. And just showing that strength and beauty and grace in the midst of the struggle, I think is very appealing um, to their culture. You know, we all travel a lot. We're all seasoned, right? I think, personally, I think more cultural appropriation happens more outside of the U.S. What do y'all think? Like, when I... When I look at uh, when I go to certain um, when I go when I go anywhere when I listen to when I look at what they're listening to and how they're dressing and stuff like that, um, I just find that they're really they really gravitate towards hip hop yeah. and the, the, the it yeah, is like the, it the hip hop fashion. Uh, but that's what I mean. That's I look at yeah, it like from that you know from from. From the majority, from the majority of who do it as an appreciation. Yeah. Um, right. So. And that's interesting because when I'm um, and I hear like them playing hip hop or I see them dressed a certain way and I get so spiced, like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Anything, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then if I come, you know, back to the US and if I'm in a certain neighborhood and I hear, you know, Jay Z bumping or something, I'm like, it's just, it's still, it's to my previous point. You know, you don't that You receive that. it differently. Yeah. You receive it differently but is that from right? Americans. But when you're overseas, it's like, you know, it, it's more appreciation than. But is it right? Is yeah, it I was right? going to say, they but is that right? Be appreciating it here. If in you're living US. in America, you have to. Uh, you can't erase our culture. You can't erase the history. You can't. You have to accept the history, whether you want to or not. You have but them to appreciating it and bumping music and wearing our clothes isn't erasing it. It's them adopting no. it and appreciating it. 
And, and again, like if it's in the U.S. and it's just some money you appreciate, that that doesn't bother me. But again, the the times that I, you know, I mentioned before, like if you're ridiculing me for doing it, but then you can do it and it's fine. Or if you switch it off and on, or like you were talking about, if you're profiting from it, it's different. Overseas, it's kind of different. It's more appreciation. Like when I was a foreign exchange student in high school, I would go over there when they're playing Dr. Dre and Snoop and all that. I didn't feel like they were stealing anything. It was more like, this music is cool. I love it. And I received it differently. Sometimes here, depending on who it is, I receive it in the exact same way. And then other times I see it as, you know, again, I've seen it where some people will act like they're cool, act like they're down until the shit hits the fan. Well, ladies, I hate that it has to come to an end for this episode. But Kay, what do you have for us this week? So this is a follow-up to my episode one, Food for Thought, when I talked about judge appointments and the implications of a conservative majority on the Supreme Court. Well, with the very unfortunate and untimely passing of RBG, it appears we have lost this fight and a lot is at stake from women's, immigrant, voting, LBGTQ rights, as well as healthcare, environmental, and privacy protections. Republicans have made it clear they're not going to abide by their own made-up rule. You know that rule of not confirming a Supreme Court justice in an election year, like they did when they stole Obama's pick back in 2016? So Trump went ahead and nominated Amy Coney Barrett, which is not good. Based on her previous comments, Barrett is not for a woman's right to choose, not for immigrant rights, and wants to dismantle Obamacare. She's basically just Scalia in a wig, who views The Handmaid's Tale as more of an aspiration instead of a nightmare. The Republican politicians don't care about norms, fairness, truth, or sticking by their word. They care about power and imposing their will on our lives. As I mentioned before, judge appointments are their most important issues, so they'll do anything for it, like elect a tax-evading conman and reality TV host as president. They will continue to play dirty, and at this point, so should we. We don't have many options, unfortunately. The options we do have are basically changing the rules of the game because we're losing. While it's shady, it's totally something the conservatives would do. Our only hope for protecting ourselves is to vote in the highest of numbers because in order to do anything, we have to win the presidency, the House, and the Senate. So while this option is not ideal and sets a really dangerous precedent, if we win all three, Congress can pack the court, which is to elect to add more justice positions to the court. So instead of nine justices, they can pass legislation to increase the number of justices to, let's say, 13. And then the new president can make the justice appointments to take away the conservative majority. Even though it would be perfectly legal to do, this doesn't sound like a dirty trick Democrats would play. Democrats usually are too scared and passive, and some would say weak, to pull this off. It already appears that Biden and other moderate Democrats don't really have an appetite or stomach for this, but we can't keep letting them underestimate the other side because the other side has no scruples. They would do the same thing if the tables were turned. So we have to put the pressure on Democrats to do whatever they can because people's lives are literally at risk. Democrats will also need us to be loud, vocal, and give them the political cover to pull this off. 
It will be controversial for sure, and the right will be in full war mode. So if you see a petition, sign it. See a rally or town hall, go to it. See some information, share it. Let's talk about it and normalize the idea so it doesn't seem so radical. That's what they do. So another option that's being tossed around is one where it requires restructuring the court. It won't give us immediate cover, but it, it will be less underhanded and will actually have a better long-term outcome. Two conservative professors at Northwestern University recognize the ridiculousness and negative impact of having lifetime judge appointments and propose a new system where every sitting president gets exactly two Supreme Court appointments during each four-year term. Once confirmed, each appointee would serve for a single, non-renewable 18-year term on the Supreme Court. And then every two years, a new justice come in and an old justice goes out. This would take away the circus and desperation that comes along with Supreme Court appointments. It really just makes it more fair. However, this plan would need a constitutional amendment because it clearly states Supreme Court justices are to serve a lifetime appointment. Now, they could kind of circumvent that and have the president appoint nominees to the federal judiciary and then select them for the 18-year term on the Supreme Court. And when that expires, then they go back to the lower federal court satisfying the constitutional requirement of a lifetime appointment. So this option will appear to be less threatening to conservatives, but there's a lot Democrats will have to iron out like the process and how to handle current judges serving on appointments. So we're in for a fight either way, unless we decide to just not fight at all and accept our loss. I'm hoping that everyone truly understands what's at stake because if we do, not fighting wouldn't even be an option. So that was pretty depressing. Um, I left some links if you want to find out more to include a link to the ACLU letter calling for at least a delay in the bearer confirmation vote, which we all can sign and then send off. So, ladies, when it comes to the current Supreme Court situation on a scale of one to ten, how screwed do you think we are? If our ideology follows Scalia 100%, then yes, we we need a, a why of higher than 10 as our 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 endpoint yeah yeah i recommend everyone do research on um her religion and her views because it's um pretty radical and i think it would scare most people especially women so well but what she tries to stand on is that her personal beliefs are separate from the law but so that's not what concerns me. I mean, it is somewhat concerning. What concerns me is the, is the same thing that, um, you know, Scott, Scalia stood on was that the law as it is written is the law, even though the Constitution was written hundreds of years ago and they evolve and they change. Right. So, you know, for her to be his understudy, that's what concerns me. And of course, like, I do agree. Like people's personal opinions and biases and views do come into their interpretation of the. They all say that. Every single one says that. Oh, it's not going to my personal view. They all say that, and it's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it is alarming. It's like a what a six three, you know, right wing split, conservative split now. Mm -hmm. So um. I don't know. It's just I if she is confirmed, which it is very likely that she will be so much is going to roll back. And I I mean, Kay, you spoke so eloquently about everything. I'm just I'm still in shock. So <laughs> I um, 
I'm in shock. I don't, I don't know. I, it, it is alarming to see where we are going to be over the next, you know, one year, five, 10 years and what our children um, will grow up, you know, in. So it's, um, it's scary. Yeah. Just watch Handmaid's too. That'll let us know. <laughs> Y'all need to watch that. Anyway, that is a beautiful piece of storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> mm. That's me. Well, ladies, this has been another fantastic episode, another wonderful conversation. So thank everyone. We thank you for joining us uh, for this episode. We, you know, let us know what you think about it. Definitely like and subscribe and comment. Um, let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you want us to talk about for our next episode. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Crucial Conversations. Uh, we're available on YouTube, Google, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you watch your podcast. But definitely join us next week and we look forward to seeing you. Bye, ladies. Bye. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to Crucial Conversations. I'm your girl, Naya. Hey, y'all, I'm Dion. Hi, I'm Kay. Hello, I'm Joy. Today, we will discuss how happy in love turns into I'm not so happy in this relationship. Going from asking Alexa to play Let's Get Married by Jagged Edge to Alexa, please play Papers by Usher. We are about to discuss Here's the Davis hard decision. On Amazon Music. Alexa. <laughs> Alexa, stop. now that was hilarious. We have to use that. Ha- yes. I was just going to say, yes. we have to use that We're one. That was on, too people. cute. We're carrying on. Oh my God. We are about a- to discuss the hard decisions to call it quits, picking yourself back up and getting back to life and getting back to reality. To help us with this conversation, we decided to phone a friend. Our guest has courageously placed her heartache, pain, her come up and lessons learned onto paper, painting the most entertaining blog and published book titled, I Now Pronounce You Divorced. This book is a candid tale about breaking up and breaking through. She's everyone's favorite homegirl who has the privilege to know her. I am happy to welcome someone who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ladies, let's welcome Cherie Stevens. Hey, in the house with the fly yes. fedora. Yes, oh, welcome to our group chat. Yes, welcome to Y'all look amazing. Thank you, yeah. as do you. We're so happy you could join us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. We are, we are too, because we read your blog. That's this. <laughs> and how did you find the time to even write this in the midst of you slanging houses and chef and meals? Like <laughs> I had to do it. So I um 
I knew I wanted to write something about my divorce, but I didn't know how it was going to happen. So I was actually following Eric Thomas. Do y'all know Eric Thomas, the Mm -hmm. motivational speaker guy? And he posted one Monday morning. He said, name three things you're going to accomplish this week. And I just wrote on there. I said, I want to um, revise my listing presentation. I want to work on my book and I want to start a blog. So he responded, and I was a fangirl, like, oh, my God, Eric Thomas responded to me. Um, and he said, what's the name of your blog? And I sat there, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so I sat there for a few minutes, and I, was, and I was like, you need to blog about your divorce. And I now pronounce your divorce just as I was typing, it just came out. And when I looked back at it, I was like, that's it. That's and I just, I that's literally perfect. went to Starbucks that day. And started writing, and I I knocked out the first episode just while I was sitting there. I just I just kept going for it. So so this is wow. natural to you, like your your writing style. Because I can't wait for everybody to go to your blog and just the words just flow. But it just seems like you've been oh. writing forever. Do you have a background in writing, journalism, English, well, like sorta, yeah. So yeah, okay. I won my first essay contest in fifth grade. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, she ain't new to this. <laughs> and so that started it. And then I majored in English in college. So got a lot of writing done there, obviously. Don't love to read, but I love to write, which is a little weird. <laughs> so people that haven't had the privilege of your blog, can you kind of give us your story and your black background? I would have never thought that we were going to get divorced. So when we stood up and exchanged those vows in 2006, no one could have ever told me that we were going to get a divorce at all. So I was a little, I knew that we were having problems in our marriage. I thought they were just problems. I thought they were, you know, like, all right, we got it. This is the rough patch. Everyone tells you about, we're just, you know, we just got to dig deep and push through it. And he was he was already gone, you know, so I thought that we were fixing it and he had already checked out. So my divorce, I would say in that regard, was a little bit of I was a little blindsided by it. Right. Because even though I knew we had problems, I just thought we were going to like, you know, put our gloves on. Mm-hmm. Get ready. Take our, you, you thought know, so gold death gold. do you part meant mm-hmm. like you all were going to end it for the long haul. Yeah, that's what I thought. So. I think a lot of the rawness and some of the pain that you can see um, in those pages comes from that because I just, I didn't know that that was happening. Shocker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, would you say that hindsight, um, that you there were any red flags uh, that oh. you were blinded by love maybe and didn't see? Oh, or- girl. We should have never gotten married. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I know that now, but um, I think that's why also it's easy for me to talk about it now. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, we should have never gotten married. We were just not, I don't know. We loved each other. We definitely loved each other, but we were never really in love. Like that in mm-hmm. love. You know what? I am going to bust the windows out your car kind of love. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there was never any of that kind of passion underneath it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can look back at that and see, and I can just tell, like, we're, we're just totally different. He's 
Um, I'm not gonna call him a square, but he's <laughs> yeah, but you did. a lot more laced up than <laughs> I am. Okay, <laughs> he's a little more tightly wound than safe. I am. I'm like, like hey. state. right? But see, that's so interesting because do you think that like being in love is a requirement to get married, especially knowing that people fall in and out of love all the time? Like, do you think it, it's it's necessary to start there? For me, it is. Yeah. For me, it is. And I know that people marry for all types of different reasons. For me, I've got to have that connection with you, mm-hmm. that, that like you, that you can see from across the room. I've got to have that. And it's funny because one of my first kind of in separation relationships that I had, um, it didn't last long, child, because we were going down that same road. <laughs> and that right. Day, he was very into me, and which is, you know, like, we like that. Like, we want to feel loved and wanted and all of that stuff. But once I started seeing that, I was kind of repeating the same yeah. thing that I did with my ex. I had to I had to break up with them. So mm-hmm. and and again, it was because I wasn't I didn't feel those warm and fuzzies like butterflies. Mm-hmm. I just decided to be with him because it made sense. Right. You know, mm-hmm. like he was into me. He told me how much he liked me and all of this stuff. And I'm like, well, yeah, he's a good guy. I'm like, let's do it. I always get curious to ask anybody that I come across that had has a relationship or had a relationship how would you rate out of the three things? Like, would you, how would you rate love, um, attraction and compatibility? Like in what order? That's a good question. question. I think that's a good question for everybody. Yeah. I think that's like for anybody in general. And I always think about that even for my own personal. So like somebody that's, you know, in it and, and does the, has done their due diligence in the research and the statistics. And I'm like, or, and then mixing it with your own personal, what would you say out of all of it moving Go forward? What are the three? Love, what are the compatibility three? And what? Love, attraction. love, attraction, and compatibility. Okay, love, love, attraction, okay compatibility. so mine, compatibility is probably number one because we have to, I'm very big on this connection by me kind of thing. So, like, I have to like be able to feel like you're my homeboy too, okay. but my homeboy that I want to do it to. very important compatibility part and then it would be the um, attraction no then that would make me love you oh then now i'm like oh he's so oh so now i love you and then it would be the attraction part i guess that i'm attaching that to attractive because I mean, I just I mean, I love fat boys and stuff like so. <laughs> I remember you saying you were a chubby chaser. I'm a chubby chaser. I'm the same as Reese. Like for me, it would be compatibility first because I think that sometimes in relationships you. Uh, can potentially fall in and out of love with each other. But as long as you have that compatibility and friendship, like that can sustain you through those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it'll be love. Because I, I want to love you. I don't give a, you know. Um, and then I think it's attraction. Like attraction for me is not that that big. Mm. And I see, see, I feel like you can say that because you've been married for 577 years. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. I thought thing. he has it 
been. That's five hundred. I just a long time. For me, and I'm working on this. My number one is attraction. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> you oh, know that from I just, I need to be just attracted, just walk into a room every day and just be like, oh, you know what? That's just very important to me. So I do. I lead with that. And then, <laughs> and then comes love and then comes compatibility. That's been my track record in relationships. <laughs> Oh, the recipe for divorce, basically. <laughs> right. The recipe. That's all right. The I'm, but I'm keeping it real. You know what I mean? I'm keeping it real. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I have yeah. to be like yeah. five thousand percent attracted, and then like I am just, you know, um, just, just want to be head over heels in love, and I'm the one who's like, you know, can go for potential and be like, oh, well, he has all of this, you know, these. The foundation is there. Like we can get there. I can work with that. It's because <laughs> I love him and I'm super attracted to him. As I get older, I I've always understood how important compatibility is. But them two things be leading. I don't know. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lead. So compatibility is very important, kids. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I would say for me, compatibility is number one. Like I just it's so important that we can connect and that I feel like I can be my authentic self with you. And then attraction would be second because sex is very important to me. I have to be sexually attracted to you. Like I have to want to, you know, have sex with you and then love. And, and I, and love, while I'm not saying love is not important, but I know that there's different stages of love. And so there's first that butterflies, like, oh, mm-hmm. every time I see him, like, oh, and that fades at some mm-hmm. point. And, and actually when it gets to that point, like becomes more important. It's like, I have to like you. And that leads back to the compatibility part where it's like, I like you. And then if I like you and I'm sexually attracted to you, then I'm going to have a uh, level of love for you anyway. And so those are my three. But one of my favorite <laughs> related to this, one of my, uh, an interesting line from your blog, you say, you often wonder how many people get married and know that divorce is inevitable, like off top, like and you being at weddings and sitting there, you know, just saying like, that's not going to last. <laughs> and they it's know it's not going to last. And I can see you at people's weddings. <laughs> so um now that you, you know you you went through the marriage and then divorce and understanding that you all never should have gotten married has that changed what you look for in a man now mm-hmm. how does yeah, that change absolutely, absolutely. I'm I'm grateful for the fact that I'm able to reflect on the marriage and really understand that understand that we really just weren't compatible in that way. It makes the disappointment of the divorce mm-hmm. a lot easier to deal mm-hmm. with because um you know it 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 was just I don't know. It it almost seemed forced. And what's really funny is that a lot of my good, good girlfriends, after the fact, they were just kind of like, 
they were kind of relieved that we broke up because they were saying things like, yeah, it just seemed like you were just putting on this front of this, you know, you just wanted to be this happily married church going woman and blah, blah, blah. And it just didn't seem authentic. And I'm like, well, y'all get the fun time to tell me why this was happening. But, you know, I I understand that's a hard thing to say. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Because I think even if they would have told you while you were still in it, like, how would you have really reacted to that? You're not. And what do you think that you would have left based off of your friend's feedback in viewing your relationship? But it would have given me something to think about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of had some of those moments. Like, I didn't realize how everything was coming off to other people. Mm-hmm. So even when I had a conversation with um, with my aunts before, and I don't know if this is in the blog or if it's in the book, but um, there was a time that I was talking to my aunt about something, just some decision, like a financial decision that needed to be made. And I'm like, well, I need to talk to him about it. And she's like, I don't know why you wear the pants over there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm like, you put that in there. Yeah, that yeah. was like, <laughs> I was literally like, really? I, I had no idea. Like, I had no idea. And then when I started thinking about it, I was like, you know what? You are kind of calling the plays. Mm-hmm. And and that was one of those things. And, and that's cool not to say that, you know, women can't do that or, you know, but that was not really the type of marriage that I wanted. So when you asked about, you know, kind of changing how you um, deal with men now or dating, I definitely need a different type of man. Like an alpha man. I need him. (laughs) I need him. I do, because sometimes Reese really does need to sit down and, and, okay, You don't want to leave. You and I was like, okay, baby. Okay, you got yeah. it. So okay. you had said that divorce, it forced you to figure out your haves and your have-nots. And to also, it kind of helped you differentiate between settling and over-compromising. How do you find that balance from compromising but not settling for less than what you feel like you're worth? I'm still looking for it. And I am like, honestly, I'm still looking for it. And it's, it's funny because, you know, a lot of times we look at this grass being so much greener on the <laughs> other side. So um, I'm kind of the the hybrid amongst my girlfriends. So I have some married friends who have never been separated or divorced. And I've got some single girlfriends who have never been married, who have always wanted to be married, you know, all of that stuff. And then there's me, who's been able to tap dance on both sides. Mm-hmm. And I do always say to them that I, I personally think that the grass is greener on the married side. Um, but it's, it's hard, you know, like dating is dating in 2020 is very difficult. <laughs> very difficult. It's challenging just because yeah. I mean, there's all of this competition and women are so much more forward than they used to be. And women are, you know, they're doing a lot. They're making it hard for the nice little sweet girl that wants to be courted over here. Yeah, just courting has gone out of the window because women are throwing themselves at men. Throwing and they're doing the courting. They're doing the courting. They're chasing. They are chasing. chasing. So many men 
want to assume the position of being an alpha man, but with that inher- inherently, in my opinion, comes the chase and being that wolf and 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 being the hunt and courting the woman and you know doing all of the things. So if you are sitting back and allowing a woman to come after you, to me it, it, that's it, that doesn't align. That's misaligned. So you're the alpha man, but you want the woman to chase you. So are you the lion or not? You know? What are you? What are you? (laughs) Well, that brings us something else that you said in your blog. You said um, that you think that it's important for women to cover their men before sending him out into the world. I did not know you were going to bring this up. Yes, I still stand by that. <laughs> so I this includes like the compliments and stroking egos. Why don't you educate us, Reese? <laughs> what do you mean about covering him before he goes into the I world? I will just say in my personal experience. So <laughs> that statement came from, it honestly came from this whole um, five love languages concept. Mm-hmm. And I think we've all heard of that. So what I was basically doing is loving him in the way that I wanted to be loved. Mm-hmm. So I love receiving gifts and acts of service. So I was doing that for him all the time. Like it didn't matter. Like I would be out, I would grab something for him. I would set up um, game nights and cook all this food for us. I would just do all this stuff. But really he just wanted me to say, babe, I appreciate you, mm-hmm. babe. Thank you for waking up and going to work for us every day. Babe, thank you just for taking out that trash. Babe, thank you. That's what he wanted. Now, I thought that I was doing that um, in my actions. Mm -hmm. But my words were not saying that. And my words weren't saying that because as a wife, I just, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, right? So Mm -hmm. I wasn't. You know, and you all never, never had that that conversation and talked about like what was important to each other because I feel like that's a common mis you know misconception and disconnect. And you think that it by the time that came up, it was too late. Mm -hmm. Sorry. So, do you think that if you had done that, if you had understood that and practiced that, that it would have changed the outcome at all? I think so. Um, I think that I'm not, I think that we would have still had the challenges that we had, but I think that it would have given him a little more ammunition to fight. Mm-hmm. So I the think power that of a compliment. Yeah. It, for some people, it means so much. And mm-hmm. it leaves the door open for when somebody else is coming, giving them compliments mm-hmm. and they're yeah. not getting it at home. Well, that's the, the thing. Time. That's the thing. So I'm not saying that. So when I made that statement about covering them, I I meant it in a way of knowing kind of what's on the other side of that lack of a compliment. Right. I have literally seen women target married men, mm-hmm. like going after them deliberately and filling in the blanks. So what ends up happening is this woman gets the playbook she she gets the the brochure because Mm -hmm. husband once he's receiving these compliments and he's got a little more pep in his step and he's 
Mm -hmm. You know, he's giggling a little bit, right? He starts letting that guard down more and more and more to her. Mm -hmm. So now he's telling her the things that he should be telling me. So he's telling her, she don't do this. She don't compliment me. She doesn't do, you know, whatever that list of things is that I don't do. He's now telling her. And it infuriates me just listening to it. When I read that, I was like, let's find her. She's doing it like for extra credit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she's like, oh, he likes this. So now all of a sudden, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, I picked this so-and-so up for you. Or, oh, yeah, I know you like those little raisin cookies. So I just, yeah, I was just, you know. In a simple yeah, I was in the neighborhood where it should have been focused, you know, could have helped resolve all of that. So it's yeah. communication is so important. It's, it's so important. important. I think the opposite of what you said. So you're saying that you feel that if you feel that if you would have gave those compliments, that it would have changed the outcome. Um, but I think, well, I don't know about yours personally, but I think that there are some relationships that regardless if you're doing, cause I know that there are women who are doing all the right things, um, within their marriage and they still have the same outcome as you. And so yeah. they're sitting there like, That's well, right. damn, I, I did the compliments, you yeah. know, you, you weren't getting weekly, monthly, annual sex. Like, you know what I'm saying? I was doing, I was checking all the boxes that, and the outcome is not going to be different because for some men it's in them. And I think on the other side, I think that there are men where, yeah, a compliment, it could have changed the fight in him to work for, you know, his marriage relationship, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but so in that, I know that, you know, December was a horrible time for you and and you know he brought this to your attention and you said that you felt shamed in a sense because you were stripped from this title um Mm. knowing what you know now what would you say to that Reese, you know, those years ago, because there are women who stay in relationships for the sake of having the title of I'm his wife, I'm his girl. Um, Would you still feel the same? Like, would you feel shamed or would it kind of be a moment of not relief, but like a breath of fresh air, if you will? So it would probably still be shame for me. And the reason why is because I really took pride in being a good wife. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was, and a lot of that might be attached to examples of other women um, who outside looking in, um, I'm like, but she ain't even. Like, like so comparison, which is which is really bad, which is really bad. That's something that I work on that I work on daily. Um, but one thing I know for sure, I may not have been a perfect wife to him, but I was a damn good wife. I was a good wife. And the things that I was not good at, I was willing to get better at. Yeah. If I knew what those things were. You know what I mean? So it would probably still feel shameful i would probably still feel some shame just because of the pride that i took in that position and it's the pride that i still take in it like being a wife for me um is a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. and it is very fulfilling and 
it's challenging um, at times, but it's extremely rewarding. And it's something that I long to be again. Mm. So, and I hear like even in your blog, and I hear a lot of women, like when a marriage fails, women take on the, like, it's a failure. Like I failed the marriage or what I did wrong. Mm. And I don't see and is there a part of you that feels like that you didn't fail he failed the marriage oh absolutely yeah like that wasn't I mean if you did everything in your power to make this you know marriage work and you did your best and your heart you know maybe your love languages were different but you um he should have understood your love language as well and say, okay, she, she's acts of service. And so I'm getting this from her. And, and so I just kind of got the sense that you kind of took on that as a failure for you instead of it being a failure for him. I'm so glad you said that because someone else brought that up to me, um, who followed the blog, you know, and, and kept reading things and and it was a man Mm -hmm. and he literally stopped reading it one day. Like, he was in front of me reading it and he literally stopped one day and he's like, why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep putting, you're putting it all on you. It was not. All. So he was like a little mad. Like it was not all your fault. Like he made a decision to do what he did and you can't take that. Right, and I was right. just like, wow. Eye-opening, right? Yeah, it really was because I didn't even realize that I was, um, portraying it that way. Mm -hmm. It was just really how I was feeling about it. But yes, definitely. I um, was very resentful for a long time about, I was resentful towards him about the way he handled it. Mm -hmm. I just thought it could have been handled and that I deserved for it to be handled um, in a different way. And when I say handled, I mean the, um, the effort put it, put into trying to fix it instead of just making me disposable. And even with him allowing himself to open up to another woman, like that's not something that happens by mistake. Like you opened yourself up, you allowed this woman to come in and and, uh, you, you, you allowed yourself to receive the things that she was doing. And so I look at it like that was, he failed your marriage. Right. That wasn't Mm -hmm. you. That was him. Yeah. Cause I think girl, that's (laughs) 10 times worse. I think, you know, it's not given in the past giving passes, but, um, there are some people that's going to cheat, but it's that emotional connection for me that I feel is like way more hurtful when you're engaging into conversations and, you know, you guys are sharing your values, your wants Mm -hmm. and life and things. And then when you start, you know, giving off that list, like you said, like, she's not doing this, she's not doing that. don't talk about me to the other mm-hmm. woman. How you so, I, don't, I don't know how she didn't burn. I don't know how you, you didn't do burn. Do do don't talk about me. You are so much better than me. There would have been Windex. There would have been gasoline. Don't Wait, know. what you do with the Windex? How dare you speak my name? We can talk about that offline. <laughs> I'm just saying. Because I might need to know one day what to do with I mean, the easiest way to look at it is like a friendship. Even if you have a friendship, you know, like a female, females friendships or even homeboys or what have you, you never want that. If it's a group of people, you never like the idea of someone in your crew, like, you know, having sidebars about you. And to me, it's the same concept because 
in a marriage, your friends, like your best friends are supposed to be, even if you're not best friends, your friends. So, yeah. you know, that's like, you're talking shit about me to someone else, you know? Uh, so I think even if we reduce it just to a friendship level and take away the whole marriage and that's, it's just disrespectful as a friend, period. I think that's the difference between a boy and a boy and a man, because I Absolutely. think that a boy will have those sidebar conversations and saying what my girl's not doing. A man, regardless, respects his home mm -hmm. and will not mention. So sorry to call your ex a boy, but. Does he know <laughs> about your blogs and your right. books? Did he read it? He knows. He, so I don't that that. is like a million dollar question. I personally think that he has. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely think that his new wife has. Oh, of course. Oh, because so he has way too many friends in All his, her friends, her family. Please <laughs> her family. They probably gonna watch this, um, okay. this episode. They're <laughs> I'm just saying they might have their notifications turned on. I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. But I don't, we did not have, we have not had a conversation about that. And I think that speaks to how things worked in our marriage as well. Like we didn't have a conversation about it. So that day that I left the Starbucks after I wrote the first episode, I talked to him and I said, Hey, listen, I'm writing this blog. It's about our divorce. I wanted to give you a heads up. I would love to have your blessing, blah, blah, blah. And he gave me his blessing. So, so would you have He's would you have moved forward? And listen, I took it a step further because I'm a teacher's pet. I said, and if you want to write your version of it, I will publish it. <laughs> okay. So my question to you though is had he not given his blessing, would you have still moved forward and released it? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, but I'm to me, everybody's like saying it like but. so matter of factly, but I would have basically like asked for his blessing. So I, I don't know. That might have been like the. It was know, a courtesy. A courtesy. Okay. So maybe we can take the word blessing out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was definitely a courtesy because I knew I had to release it, and one of the reasons why I wanted to do that is because. While I was grieving and mourning the loss of my marriage, I was seeking help. So I was looking for, I was Googling books on divorce and this and that, and I never saw one. All of them just kind of seemed like this corny self-help. Um, you'll be fine. Like, you know, just keep on going. Like, they all felt like that to me. And I really mm -hmm. wanted to feel like somebody knew what I was going through. Someone knew how I felt like because the days are you never know what's going to happen. Triggers happen. Girl. You know, you can see anything. Girl. You can be having a great day and something just <laughs> takes you right back to that place. Yeah. So I wanted to connect with that place. Yeah. So that's why I shared so many like really raw, embarrassing um humiliating moments because I wanted I wanted another woman and I want I want other women who are going through this to be able to relate and connect and then to know that there is another side yeah. you know because I'm you know I'm 
removed from the actual divorce, let's see, it was 2016 when it was official, but we were separated for like five years. But I can look back at it now and not feel ashamed or embarrassed or sad or, you know, and and one thing that was really funny is that now he's remarried and when he got remarried, people were kind of like, okay. Um, and he got remarried to that chick. Um, <laughs> look at her face. <laughs> I wish I could take a picture of these. <laughs> um, yes, you know, they are um, married now. But what was really so funny is that people literally were like checking on me. Like, okay. I'm like, I haven't been with this man in... Oh, for five years, like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I know, and I hear what you're saying, but that would that would have been one of those triggers that I feel like would have taken me back. You know what I mean? And it goes to what Naya was saying about the, not just him, you know, stepping out, but that emotional connection, just that reminder that it was somebody that he connected with on that level right. while he was with me. And then it progressed. You you married this man? <laughs> Now, I didn't send them anything <laughs> off their registry, right? Um, but I definitely was okay with it. And and one of the reasons I think why I was so okay with it is that my daughter, you know, my daughter is deeply connected to both of us. Of so it was cool for me to see her experience that and see that kind of love and to know that she can, you know, it was kind of like this example that she can be in love too, because she hasn't really seen that from my side because I don't bring men around her. So while I date and, you know, you know, <laughs> I, I don't bring, um, I don't introduce her to anyone. So she kind of does this comparison too, like, well, dad's married. Like, so what's up with you? <laughs> yeah. When are you going to get married? And she, and she really has been asking me that a lot. Um, probably within the last year or so, which is about how long he's been married. So it's kind of like, she's like, come on, girl, like, (laughs) it's your turn. And she's doing all that. But honestly, the, when, when I knew that he was getting married, it was, I would say probably the most raw emotion was like, damn, Mm -hmm. but the damn was not about him. It was more about selfishly like damn he'd be where, like, where you are yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so it was yeah. more yeah. about i had a feeling you were gonna go there yeah, yeah because i mean I, because I, I do want that you know i i really do i really do want that again i want marriage again and i think that's why i'm so careful about who i will partner with right to do that well, if it's any consolation, he had a head start while you all were married. So don't, you know, don't beat yourself up too much. You you started at the appropriate point, okay? That was really funny. Oh, my God. It's so true. Yes. So, yeah. But I get reminders all the time because let me tell you all this. This is another moment. I don't know if I wrote this in the blog or not, but one of my prayers while I was going through this was in the very beginning of it. Um, do I need to put my pride aside and 
really humble myself and really dig even deeper to fight for my marriage. Do I need to do that, Lord? If not, please show me who this man is so that I can start healing from it. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you um, the good Lord above, um, Jehovah Jireh, all of them showed me, <laughs> Father God. Showed me yeah, who he is, I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And kind of okay. gave you some peace. Okay. Oh, yeah. I get those okay. reminders all the time. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I, if there's any silver lining is that one, you knew there were red flags and you recognize you never should have married him. And so this is, I would look as the experience that you understand a lot about yourself and what you want in your partner, your next partner and going through that experience. I'm sure your next round of it, if he's out there, you're going to know exactly um, what you want and what you need in your life um, to be happy. And so I think that, I hope you don't have any regrets about what you went through. Okay. That's good. And we have an amazing daughter that came out of that marriage. Yeah. And I can say that we are very good Mm co-parents. Like that could, that could be the next book that I write. We really are really, really good co-parents. And Mm -hmm. I I love the way that works. Enjoy reading in your, your blog where you talked about how you turn at some point you turn into this bitter baby mama and then he kind of flipped the script on you. But in the end, he pulled through with his word. When you sign those papers, he, you know, um, at least stuck to his word in, in that respect. Mm-hmm. I was on fire with that. Yeah. Oh, my God, I was on fire. <laughs> and you, one thing I can also say about divorce, too, is that it my, my sister circle, my girlfriends, really, really, really helped get me through. Yeah. Like, period. Yeah. Like, they, I mean, I don't know how I could have done it without them. And there's one friend in particular who is always kind of like, she's like this annoying voice of reason. It's not annoying, but it's annoying just because like, oh, you're right. You know, I'm because, yeah, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I mean, I was just carrying it so much because the stubborn side of me was just like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not signing it. And she's like, and what are you gaining from that? Right. What are you, what really, okay, you don't sign it and you still stay married to him. Like, what is that? Do you, Mm -hmm. and then she was like, and girl, how are you going to find this next man while you're married to this one? Right. Mm. Oh, that was a word. Okay, friend. (laughs) Father God. It it was like, oh, well, you, okay. Got to have a good sister circle. So while you were, when you were talking earlier, you had said how your purpose for this book is that you wanted to kind of help women through divorce, but then also that there's life after. Let's talk about that life after. (laughs) (laughs) Is life good, (laughs) Reese? Oh, life after the divorce. Wow. Um, so I think now I've, I've finally, um, figured it out, but it took some time to get there. So, um, the dating drama, wow, that could, that could be another blog. Dating after divorce is crazy. (laughs) I have met some very interesting people, some good. Um, but one of the guys that I met, he was actually also a reminder that I was never really in love with my husband mm. because we just kind of had this connection instant thing. 
And when I was trying to figure out what it was about him, I'm like, what was it? Because he really wasn't my type. Like, and I have a type, like I have a type. <laughs> okay. A lot of them all look alike. They're like, yep, that's Reese right there. Yep. And that's I remember you saying you like them 77 inches. Six, six seven. I remember. <laughs> if I could, I think if I could describe my perfect guy, he would be. He would pretty much be David Banner. Oh, I love David Banner is a good pick. That I'm a David Banner. Pick. Okay, I'm a fan. Yeah, David Banner kind of girl. smart. So one. yeah, this joint don't look nothing like David Banner. Um, <laughs> But he did smell good all the time. And he was like perfectly dressed and, you know, all of this. And I figured out why I was so drawn to him so quickly. And it was because he instantly um, communicated with me. He was fluent in my love language Mm. without me ever having to say a word. He literally just did it. So we never had a discussion about it. He was just attentive. He literally studied me. And he just did stuff, all of these acts of service, just kind of off the top. And that also helped me, um, even though we're not together now, that helped me to cope with the fact that we probably never should have been. We probably never would have had a happy ever after, whether or not old girl came into the picture or not. You know, so even if let's just say he never... um, had the affair and he we never got divorced i still think that our marriage would have just been flat yeah you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. even if we were still married now it would just have been because oh yeah we're coming up on 15 years like okay Mm -hmm. it's going too long like we always do like (laughs) you know what i mean yeah. So open to everybody, because uh, Reese, I know you've been answering a lot of question questions. It's almost like an interview for you. But what are those? <laughs> cool. I gotta get I gotta get ready for this press uh, circuit, honey. When this uh, <laughs> okay, this yes, we speak that into existence. <laughs> what What are those signs like for you guys for for everyone that says this this just ain't it? Like this is not gonna work. You know, I got my list. Insecurity (laughs) is number one. If you're insecure, it's not going to work with me. I mean, I'm just not that. uh, If you're insecure, I'm going to make your insecurity worse. She will. As a true Aries. (laughs) A true Aries. (laughs) Oh, that's what's happening here with us. You're an Aries. Area. <laughs> well, and Reese, you touched on this. So earlier. I'm really surprised you ain't burn anything down, and he has all his appendages. Well, <laughs> honey, that is fire. I um, think communication. Yeah, me, like once we can't talk about anything, or we can't talk openly, or you know, um, we have to walk on eggshells then it doesn't matter at that point how attracted we are to each other or how much we love each other mm-hmm. because that's like a big piece of the pie. That's so. Yeah. Mine is uh, masculinity. And you touched on this earlier, Reese. Like I am, that's just a very, very, very important quality to me is that that alpha nature. And it goes to confidence. Actually, what Kay spoke to also, like lack of insecurity, very confident, can walk into any room any circle and just handle himself. Check me when need be. Um, that's very. So you want somebody to beat you? <laughs> now, 
No, there will be no Ike Turner captivated a room and then checked Tina. I like like Ike without the domestic violence, okay? (laughs) I I think Columbus is short and single again. (laughs) Without the domestic violence. Assertiveness. Just stick with the assertiveness. That's a good word. I'm very into ambition and you being self-motivated. So, yeah, I know that sometimes I got to, you know, pick you back up. But I want you to really be self-motivated and like a natural born leader. Mm-hmm. So if I don't see that and if I see um, that was one of the things like, um, you know, the red flags or the, the warning signs or whatever, um, my ex would always say, I'll back your play. I'll back your play. I'll back your play. Which sounded good i guess while it was happening well why are you backing it right 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 so lead i was hearing oh he supports me but it was it didn't mm-hmm. that's not how it filtered out it was oh, back and forth. okay but then when my play messed up now you mad at me mm-hmm. but you didn't you didn't really do anything yeah play. You like know? did you did you have a plan b an alternative plan yeah where's yours <laughs> where's yours naya um, I'm kind of with uh, Joy. Uh, communication is really big for me. Um, only because I think like in a marriage, you have to be able to openly communicate. And sometimes the things that are said and heard within that conversation, you know, it's not always going to be ideal, but it's necessary. And I think that in marriages, in order for you to grow, you have to have open communication in order to know your flaws and, you know, where you're, where you're lacking um, before you go out when you feel uncovered, you know. (laughs) I talk about the difficult conversations, seriously. (laughs) I'm all, about, I am, yeah. I'm all about doing that. Yeah. But How I, can you get better if you don't know where exactly, you're Exactly, And a willingness exactly. to get better. So communication yeah. and a willingness to work. Because um, a lot of people, they say that marriage is relationships. It's like a business. Well, then handle your marriage or relationship like a business. And I need you to work because, you know, I, I'm going to put in the work and I need you to put it in just as well. And when I'm you know, falling short, then give me that constructive uh, criticism and that feedback that I need to get me back to where I'm supposed to be and vice versa. One of the things I think is important to say about um, receiving that feedback is to not be so quick to retaliate. Because when someone's saying something to us that we don't want to hear, that it's a hard pill to swallow, now we're defensive and now we're like, but you just Mm-hmm. We ain't say nothing with you. Mm-hmm. But it ain't about that right now. It's about yeah. what they are sharing. And yeah, we can give feedback both ways. But you know, a lot of times when we hear something that we don't want to hear that makes us uncomfortable or that makes us, you know, defensive, then we mm-hmm. charge back. Right. And that I, I feel like that kind of gets us back at square one. Like because now we're just both doing this. Yeah. So there was one thing in your your blogging that just stood out to me. I'm like, I would never, you know, like it was um, where you 
I guess at some point the sex had diminished and you were still willing to work on your relationship. And then I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't think I could do that. Like, <laughs> I was like, once if you once the sex diminishes, like, I don't see what's salvageable at this point. And I, I guess that's too, you know, we look at our value system <laughs> and what we, we value in a relationship. And so I I look at that as like if the moment I feel like you're not sexually attracted to me, then it's like there's nothing else to salvage, for real. So that, that was a that was a weird thing to deal with because I never had that issue before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> seriously, so with kind of these um, strong Christian forward values that I brought into my marriage because we weren't having sex before, too. So that's another thing. Before so you got married? I, yeah. Oh, you did it for a year and a half. Way. Okay. Yeah. No, they were so so I'm like, I haven't been doing it, so we, gonna, we got to... We got some catching up that to do. Beautiful. No, it's not. No, that, mm-hmm. that's not. 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 That's I just, it, it was, I'm like, what am I, it's me. Like, what am I doing? What am I not doing? Oh my God. Like all of it. You said like, you had a conversation with your self-esteem. I remember that line about rejection and, and yeah, it was a blow. Oh girl, that's, yeah. that rejection thing is, is serious and deep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so pain. before we move on, I want to make sure that we touch on the, um, kind of the generational trauma and lack of a blueprint that you touched on in your blog. You you said that like you had daddy issues, he had mother issues and you know bringing that into your marriage and like you all were just winging it basically and like not knowing what to do and how to make this successful. And there was something that you said about everybody brings gifts to the wedding, but what about the gifts for the marriage? And not meaning tangible gifts, but like advice, mm-hmm. like how are we supposed to make this work and get to till death do us part and make this, you know, a fruitful marriage. I'm really glad that you touched on that in the blog because I think so many people have that same issue. And it's like where does it go? Yeah. What resources? Yeah. It's actually one of the reasons why just even in dating now, um I'm very cool and probably prefer a man who has been married before. I kind of like a man who's been divorced because, yeah, yeah, I feel like we got some things to talk about, you know, it's, you know, it's a good framework for a conversation about what we really want, how we really want it, and kind of the, um, just being really blunt about that. I I really like that. I really like dating divorce days. (laughs) I'm not mad at you. I, I, I used to say that as well. <laughs> yeah, that works for me. You mentioned something big, how you see potential and you see the possibility. And uh, that I think that that is huge, like in a lot of relationships. Oh, I think that that's a conversation mm-hmm. that girlfriends need to have is that, you know, you don't marry potential. You're, you're, yeah. you don't 
you don't get into a committed relationship with someone, the possibility of what they can become because you have to work with who they are right now, this mm-hmm. day, because people are constantly evolving yeah. and changing into a different form of themselves. So yes, you gotta you love that men. It's like they say that men, men, um, what, women change, men w- marry women for who they are at that moment expecting them not to change mm-hmm. and then women marry men for what they feel like they can be mm. expecting them to change and men are simple men i think women we make men more complex than they are men are pretty simple they're yeah. they're not complex and so in many cases they don't evolve at the rate that women evolve we evolve like as we go through our different stages when we turn 30 when we have children when we you know go through these different stages of life like we change like we evolve men only have like a few stages in life where they change like they don't change that much they're really simple i think that we just make them more complex than they actually are right right k is absolutely right i don't think that men are that complex because a lot of times they're they're telling us Look, look, chick, this is all I got I for you. I ain't thinking like, likes when you met me. <laughs> yeah, this is all I got. But we're like, oh my God, love me. What me? Marry me. Yeah, he's like, man, I told you from the beginning I was a hoe. <laughs> That's <laughs> very true. You know what I'm saying? But we're still trying to make somebody uh, more than what they're willing to be. And I think men do the same thing. But I know that that I've done that in my past. Now, see, now let me comment on that, though, because my potential isn't trying to necessarily change anyone outside of of the core of who they are. It's more so I see the seeds. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's a super dope foundation. You're just not fully developed yet. So it's not a complete pivot on who they are at their core. It's just evolve a no, little bit. But Reese, thank, so you so thank you thank so you, much. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing your experience. Thank you for for being so open and candid with us. We really do look forward to your um to seeing your masterpiece. Um thank your first you. masterpiece coming to fruition. Um, bestseller list. I like the yeah. word first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah this is just the just beginning. Yep. Now we do have a segment, um, food for thought. We add to the pile of everything we've, uh, you know, just covered, but more to think about before the end of the show. So if you have a few moments, just join us, hang on tight. Um, Kay, you want to take us in? I sure will. So please bear with me. I'm going to share a lot of information. It might make your brain hurt because it made mine hurt just reading about it. Now, I don't want to be an alarmist and I hope that I'm wrong, but the writing is on the wall and it's telling me that we're in for a lot on election day of three January. So I took some time and I watched Fox News as much as I could stomach just to see what information Trump supporters are being fed. And it's all fear-mongering. They're working overtime to delegitimize the election before it even begins. And they're making Trump supporters feel like the election and the country is being stolen from them. So the rage and anger on the other side is real. Trump knows he's in danger of losing the election. So his only options are to cheat by doing things like purging voter rolls, passing voter ID laws, undermining the post office, reducing voting stations in minority neighborhoods, and withholding funding from states who are trying to make it easier for people to vote. He's also working overtime to convince his clan, I mean supporters, that the election is rigged so they can take up the fight to keep him in power. 
And I'm talking about his staunchest supporters, like nationalist groups, like the Proud Boys and those Hawaiian shirt-wearing boogaloo assholes. Now, let's be clear. Trump is desperate to stay in power because of his ego. And of course, he wants to keep using the powers of the presidency to enrich himself. But he also has another major motivation. He doesn't want to go to jail. It's clear he's broken many laws, and once he leaves the presidency, he can be charged for his many crimes. Just look at how many his friends went to jail for crimes related to him. We need to remember just how important this win is to him and why he's so desperate. So we won't know who won on November 3rd because a large number of people expected to vote by mail. So it will take more time to count all the votes. If the vote count does not favor Trump to avoid a debacle, he will have to accept the results and support a peaceful transition of power. These are the actions a mature, rational patriot would take for the good of the country. He's not going to do that. That doesn't even sound like him. When asked, he wouldn't even agree to accepting the results. He saw in his clan already that if he loses, the election is rigged and you know that clan is willing to fight for him. So what happens if Trump refuses to accept an electoral loss? Unfortunately, the president has a lot of power when it comes to contesting the election results. He could contest the electoral college votes. Let's say if he appears to win a state like Pennsylvania on election night, but loses as the mail-in ballots are counted, he would dispute the electors of that state, saying that they cheated. The governor will assign the Democratic electors for the state based on the actual results. He will claim fraud, and if the state has a Republican-controlled legislature, they can select a new set of electors for the state. And in the electoral dispute, Congress can decide how to handle the situation. But what's the likelihood the Democratic-controlled House and the Republican-controlled Senate would agree? The vice president can step in to oversee the count in Congress and interpret the law, which could lead them to not counting neither set of electors, pretty much removing the whole state from the count, potentially giving Trump an electoral win. If neither side can agree to a compromise, we're in a full-blown constitutional crisis. The Democrats can dispute Pence's involvement and take it up with the conservative majority Supreme Court, but they may not do it after what happened in Bush v. Gore 20 years ago. And the court will probably be on Trump's side anyway. So under the 20th Amendment, we have to swear in a president on January 20th. And on January 20th, the Trump-Pence term ends, period. So if we don't know who definitively won the Electoral College by then, what could happen? So under the Presidential Succession Act, Nancy Pelosi will be sworn in as president, resigning her House seat until Biden can be deemed the election winner. Of course, Republicans will contest the Pelosi swearing, and it will pretty much spiral out of control. And who knows what happens next? Expect civil unrest and possibly violence. So what if Trump actually loses but refuses to leave the White House? Believe it or not, our Constitution does not secure the peaceful transition of power, but rather presumes it will happen. The Founding Fathers assumed we would elect adults as president. The military already said they're not going to get involved in his removal, and civilian authorities and courts will have to resolve the issue. We, have, we may have to depend on Secret Service to physically remove him from office if he hasn't given them all the coronavirus. But the rules are very murky around this. So be prepared. While Biden is lawyering up, preparing for court battles, Trump is leading a cult of gun-toting idiots who will do anything for their leader. Remember, stand down and stand by. So what can we do? Crush them. 
vote and vote early. If you feel safe and comfortable to vote in person on election day, do it, especially if you're in a key state like Pennsylvania, Florida, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Virginia, and North Carolina. Trump and his Klan will not have anything to dispute if on November 3rd they're being crushed. Keep in mind, most of his people think the pandemic is a hoax, so they're going to vote in person, probably without a mask, so they will have an election day advantage. If you vote by mail, please carefully follow the instructions to ensure they aren't thrown out, like filling in the bubbles and signing it properly. And lastly, take to the streets if the election is being stolen, like we did for George Floyd. Let's not become complacent. We have to get Democrats to use the full extent of their power, and it won't be easy. It will take a mass and intense movement that could last for weeks and possibly months to stiffen the Democrats' spine. So I know I'm ready to hit the streets, even in the cold, but I hope I'm wrong and it won't come to this because I really hate the cold. So I highly recommend reading the different scenarios I was unable to cover today from the Transition Integrity Project, which is a 20-page document provided in one of the links in the episode description. So, ladies, I don't know about you, but I keep hearing some of the Trump people, like his criminal friend, Roger Stone, say he should declare martial law to seize power if he loses the election. I hope it doesn't go this far, but at this point, do you even put it past him? Is that a serious question? That's actually a serious question. He actually said that shit. No, no, like, no. But is of- that a serious question that we put it past him to, like, actually enact that? Because I, yeah, I, I think mean, we we've seen evidence that he would 1000% do that. Absolutely. When is your book launching? When is it going to be available? Because everybody needs to read this amazingness. Like definitely go to your blog, like give give us all of the things so that people know where to find you. So we're looking at like first week of December of this year. Tell us the website for your blog, your IG, tell us all of that good stuff. So the blog is on, I now pronounce you divorced.com wordpress.com. So that's the blog. Um, I now pronounce your divorce blog.wordpress.com. Sorry, I left the word blog out. And my IG is at mamapreneur, M-A-M-A-P-R-E-N-E-U-R. Amazing. Um, And I call myself that because I kind of have my hands in a couple of... Everything. You give them multiple revenue streams, right? Well, ladies, this was another fantastic episode. Reese, thank you so, so much for joining us. I cannot wait for... Absolutely. I cannot wait for everybody to get familiar with you and read your blog and read your story. um, And just... Call me anytime y'all want these two cents for something. Absolutely. We're going to hold you to that. We're definitely going to bring you back when the book launches. So um, to everybody who's joining us, thank you so much. Definitely check us out on YouTube, Google, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you catch your podcasts. And, you know, follow us on IG at Crucial Conversation, C-R-E-W. C-I-A-L. And we hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye.